Hi, hi, welcome, welcome. I wasn't here on Wednesday and I missed you. I miss being here. And it's interesting to notice that we're in our separate homes and we're looking at a screen. We're not together in person. And yet, we're engaged in something that isn't a substitute for retreat or a being in a temple or in some Buddhist place. This very practice in this space that we share can and will take us all the way to awakening, moment by moment. And one thing I felt so strongly that I wanted to share with you is that I was away for a few days of vacation with my daughter, which was lovely. And then I came back to New York, went into the city to go to the doctor, and I was walking up the street in Manhattan and was suddenly filled with the conviction. It wasn't a thought. It was a completely organic conviction that everybody everybody on the street, including myself, would one day die. And it wasn't, I mean, it might sound creepy, but it was something very direct and very real. That everybody, and you could see people bustling and hurting, and you could see their preoccupation their panic, their bossiness, their their joy sometimes, all different states, hurrying along. And it was as if they didn't know. And, and you know, I didn't tell everybody. I kept it to myself. But, but the interesting thing about being, and welcome everyone who's coming, I was talking about coming back from vacation, rushing up the street in Manhattan with a bunch of other people rushing, suddenly where everybody would die. And this might sound morbid and characteristically so, but it's actually the path. It's actually the path. And, and one way to think of it is the uses of sadness. Because I was full of sorrow, just realizing how impermanent everything is. All these people, myself, everything. And this is a step in this practice. It's not something to be avoided, and it's not something to be feared. Because, and I really felt it that day. I really felt it that day, that the sorrow that I felt rushing up the street is the beginning of compassion, real compassion. Because when you look at everybody around you, everybody in the space, and it's not something that you can engineer, but it will come to you that all of us equally are subject to impermanence, all of us. And that in the, in the face of this fact, we, we want to be happy, all of us. We want to feel safe, all of us. We want to feel we want to have a feeling for life, for being alive, all of us. Anyway, so 
when you have this on the street in New York City, and this kind of sorrow and compassion extends to the delivery guys and the construction guys who are knocking stuff down and the business people rushing along and people eating their lunch and all these strangers. Something else begins to happen. Your fear begins to slip away. Now, it's not like that you're going to do something really rash, like walk out into traffic or, you know, put yourself in harm's way. But an inner fear, an inner sense of separation. And as Mary Oliver famously wrote, someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to realize that this too is a gift. And I thought about that for years. And I think that what it invites us to see is that everything in ourselves that we fear that feels like a disappointment or an edge. It's something that gives us a possibility to know compassion, forgiveness. But enough kind of lecturing or, or preaching a tiny story. And this is, I think, without a doubt, the most controversial story in the Buddhist canon. And in this story, the Buddha, all of the Jataka tales are about the lives of the Buddha before he became enlightened. And in this story, the Buddha was a human being, but a Brahmin, he was exalted upper caste and it was a caste that was bound by ritual but the Buddha to be the Bodhisattva was a very gifted teacher so people were just drawn to hear him talk about how to wake up so he split off from the Brahmin world almost echoing what would come. He went into the forest with one attendant to sit, find some welcoming tree or some grove and, and welcome any people who might be drawn to him to meditate with him and to listen to him. And everything was lovely until one day he and his attendant heard an extraordinary sound. It was like a coughing kind of roar. And his attendant said, that's a hungry tiger. We have to run. And the, the Bodhisattva, the Buddha-to-be, said, no, that is something even more extreme. That's a starving tiger, starving. So they followed the sound to the edge of a cliff, and there was a mother tiger in the, down below, down below this steep little ravine with two baby cubs and she did indeed look like she was starving starving and she was just just lying there just roaring in her pain and the bodhisattva and his attendant could clearly see that they had to do something or she was going to eat those cubs, her own cubs. Now, think about this. There is more than one way 
that a mother can devour her child. We know this. Due to their pain, their hunger. So she was in a state. And the Bodhisattva said to, to the attendant, go get some food for this tiger, or she's going to eat her young. So off went uh, the attendant, but the Bodhisattva saw that things were too late. And you could see this mother tiger. And you can picture it and open your mind to realize it doesn't have to be physical hunger. You can picture this mother. And she was going, she was dragged herself up from her, her horrible, painful state and started to creep towards her babies. And the Bodhisattva said, I can't, I must stop this. And there was something else. The Bodhisattva knew that he was not just this body. This is where it gets controversial. He was not just this brain. He was also an awareness that was deathless, that was part of a greater whole. So the Bodhisattva hung up his robe on a tree and plunged to his death to offer himself as food for that tiger. And the tiger turned, heard the crash, and was deflected from this act. Now, when the attendant came back, he was horrified and impressed. According to, according to the traditional interpretation, this is the ultimate act of generosity. We'll get to this in a moment. So he, he took the road back to the temple, and they came, and they made a, a pilgrimage site of the spot where this ultimate act of generosity took place. Now, Okay, I've told you the story. And now in books, when they reprint it, they basically say, in terms of interpretation, you're on your own. Because obviously, we're not encouraging people to sacrifice their lives for another. We're not it's not like the giving tree, the great controversy of that children's book, if you know what I'm talking about. This is, I want to plant this seed in your mind. It's a real seed. You are the tiger. You are the starving mother tiger. You are at times so hungry, so pain-wracked, so abduct, that you are completely ready to devour your young, to do your worst, to do your worst. And you are also the Bodhisattva. You are also Everybody here, you are also capable of extending a generosity, a forgiveness, a quality of complete embracing mercy to that starving tiger who is also yourself the box of darkness, the gift. When we are introduced to what we will do when we're hurt, abandoned, betrayed, heartbroken, we are given an opportunity to extend our complete open-hearted compassion to just that state.
just that feeling, just that self, because we contain so many selves. And the way we awaken, and this is the truth, isn't by escaping our humanity, our pain, our complexity, but by allowing ourselves to feel it at moments, to feel it, to come out of the head, to stop thinking it, and to feel it, and to offer ourselves our own forgiveness. Not in one big lump, but moment by moment, forgiveness, compassion, and love. Love in the midst of our brokenness, our mother tigerness, becomes the gateway to a completely different kind of joy. A joy that is light, that is freedom from fear, that is freedom from a sense of separation and exile. So when we sit today, one time we did, yes, now we're going at moments to offer ourselves the mantra, forgiven, forgiven. So let's sit and we'll see. Take a comfortable seat, feet on the floor, back, Nice and straight, head resting easy, as easy as you can. And let your eyes close. And notice how it feels to be here today. And notice that there is an attention inside you. You don't have to think about it. That can see with kindness and acceptance. And notice that this attention and begin to soften you. Just let yourself sink into sensation. However you experience that today, sensation of feet on the floor, of gravity, the weight of the body, including the head. And just let everything happen, every thought, every sensation. And when you notice that you're carried away, just gently come back again to weight of the body and the sensation inside. Noticing that there's an attention that meets sensation with kindness and acceptance.
and notice that whatever is present, whatever is present right now, you can offer the mantra forgiven. notice that this doesn't come from thinking or it needn't, but from presence. Oh, a welcoming presence. Whatever comes up, meet that with a loving attention. With complete acceptance. With Forgiveness. rest in stillness. When you get lost in thinking or picturing or feeling, just notice this and very gently come home to sensation and to a presence that receives everything with acceptance with forgiveness, with love.
notice how it feels to let yourself sink into sensation, into stillness, knowing that you have company, that you sit with others just like you. Notice as you soften, as you relax, it may also feel as if you're being seen, held in a presence that doesn't comment, that forgives. Do everything that comes up, no matter how busy or bad in your opinion. Let it be forgiven. Just say forgiven.
notice how it feels to just be alive, just life, sensation flowing in the light of an attention that's completely open. completely accepting and kind. Noticing how alive you are and that there's a presence inside you and also outside you. That we participate in something together. how it feels to be here.
Notice how it feels to be forgiven, completely forgiven. Thank you for your practice, for your attention and presence. And if you have observations about the practice or questions, we'd, we'd love to hear your voice. And please don't wait to raise your hand and be called on. Please feel free to speak. And I don't know about you, but this forgiveness practice can be quite interesting because you can feel yourself at moments like, I can't let that be forgiven. You can actually feel how we cling to a certain identity. In, in Buddhist terms, this would be clinging to an identity, to a separate self. That, that that one I cling to. And that's what holds us here from that open awareness. Whatever we're attached to, and we begin to discover as we practice that what we're attached to is our pain. Not always. There can be cherished memories, too. But very often, it's pain. May I ask a question? Yes, please. Yes, please. 
I find it so much easier to forgive others than it is myself. And people will say I'm the most forgiving person there is, but I can't forgive myself. Is there an answer for that? Or is there something I need to work on or something that I need to do or I'm not doing? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I would, I would like to tell you that you have a lot of company. You have a lot of company. And, and the second thing is to, that may be reassuring, maybe not, is that the practice of just seeing those. And like sometimes when you sit dropping in that word forgiven, especially when some kind of very painful thought or complex of thoughts and feelings comes up and just notice how it feels. Notice how it feels. And at that moment, just be soft, compassionate, kind. And if that sounds kind of vague to you, another way of thinking of it that I have found helpful when I've caught myself um, in the act of very harsh, not so much self-judgment, but exiling myself. That's how it feels these days, holding myself apart. It can feel different in different times. If I can pretend that somebody I love, a beloved friend, is having the same thoughts and feelings that I'm having right then. And how much easier it would be to extend compassion, to extend forgiveness. So I guess I would encourage you to see that this is a practice. It's a practice. And that as we practice, this is the truth. It becomes easier to extend compassion, forgiveness, acceptance to others. Start with ourselves. Start with yourself. And think of it as a preparation. Does that, does that help? It's almost like you have to love yourself first before you can love anyone else. I think so. To, to truly love. It's very, very, very easy to get attached to other people and hope that they will save us. But it, as we learn moment by moment to love ourselves, to feel the pain and love that, we become truly capable of love, I think. And what do you think? What's your experience? I, I'm not putting you in the spot to speak anyone else here. Sometimes I think with my Christian background and upbringing, I should have been able to show more love to myself and I expected a lot more of myself than I was able to exhibit. Although I can readily forgive faux pas or whatever in others. And I that's really a problem. Yeah, well, it's interesting. If you take out the word problem, and it's an interesting situation. And if you think of, and this is for everyone here, um, and even the most um, by the book Buddhist, um, God is love. Love. 
it's an attention and awareness that sees with acceptance and forgiveness. It's an awareness and attention that we aspire to and that we touch at moments, even now in our practice. It's part of us. It's, it's innate in everything. And, and so, it's... So God is not judgmental, God is love. It, yes. That's yes. an interesting, interesting concept. I didn't, it's not original. <laughs> I didn't, Tracy Cochran just came up with this great idea, God is love. It's not original, I must confess. But um, it, it's interesting to entertain that idea. And so much, I, of our, so much of our upbringing, and most of us are brought up Christians, is based on guilt and sin and that type of thing. Yeah. It's, and it's very difficult to let that go. Yes, it is. And there are a fair number of people who are raised Jewish who also know a lot about guilt and Buddhists. And, but I just want to, as we went down, there's this great little story from, I was rereading Tara Brock's book, Radical Acceptance, and and she really loves radical acceptance, of course, and, and forgiveness practice. And she had heard an old story, a very touching story from the, um, we don't want to say heyday of AIDS, but when it was raging. And she heard the story that in a hospital, a woman who had spent her life as an addict, heroin addict, lay dying of AIDS. And a young priest came in, since we're on this drift, and sat with her and she was saying she'd wasted her entire life, had done no good, had spent her whole life just mistreating people and lying and cheating and 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 he he looked at her little bedside table in the hospital and there was a picture of her daughter and and he said, Who is that? And she said, That's my daughter. I I love her. She's the most beautiful thing in my life and the only good thing I did. And and he said, Would you what would you do if she was in trouble or lost or you know where I'm going with the story? And she said, I would do anything for her. Of course I would forgive her. I love her. And he said, God has a picture of you on his nightstand. And, and, okay, maybe that sounds like Sunday school. But at the same time, it's, it's endlessly interesting to observe how it feels. How does it feel to completely let yourself out of a cage? Uh, an ego identity that's so often just forged of defense against pain, that's forged by an identity that was based on the idea that you are lacking in some way or deficient in some way. And, and this is not something that's unique to a couple of us. This is universal. And how extraordinary it feels to be free of it for just a moment, just feel completely alive, completely, completely innocent. Because the truth in Buddhism is that under all our complex,
our neuroses, all our defenses, there is a basic goodness. A basic goodness that we sometimes touch for a moment in our response to nature, to our response to a beloved person or a child or an animal, to ourselves. And that, so this practice that we're doing isn't like a side trip, you know, it's, also, it's, it's a way of slowly, slowly, slowly opening to remember her, remember is this practice, who we truly are. We are more than our pain, than our conditioning. And our work is to see how we're hooked and how we might be free. How we can be free. We are becoming free at moments. And when the innocence returns in moments, what happens? Love comes out. It's like arms opening. Hi. One of the Hi. things that, that is the greatest reminder and gift you've spoken about is it is only for moments. It's like moments. It's like to really um, experience or be reminded over and over again. This isn't a journey towards complete freedom that you arrive at. And that just is so important for me. Yeah. Well, it's true and it makes it possible. And it, it's possible. And I'm not just making it up. They measure in line. I feel like I have to constantly remind myself too that that they measure enlightenment in the Pali Canon, in the Abhidhamma. They have this huge body of it's like their psychology. Um, it's very terse. But one thing that caught my attention is that they measure enlightenment in terms of mind moments and they have these like insane measurements it's like one forty thousandth of a second or something I, it feels quite arbitrary to me but but the point is taken it's possible isn't it for all of us to open for a mind moment yeah yeah, it's so great. And I named the dog Bodie. And every time I, um, every time I get, I forget that he goes through, it's all impermanent. Everything that happens with him is impermanent, you know? And so I can be like, oh, this is the best. Oh, he's going to be like this. Oh, what a great thing. And then it goes into another state. And so it's really, it's about like, no, he's not enlightened ultimately. <laughs> That's great. And for that's a great name and great note to end on. Um, because Bodhi means heart mind, Bodhi mind. That there is inside us not just a head mind, thinking, thinking, you know, getting activated, thinking, thinking. There's also that heart. Heart, body, heart, connection, that basic innocence. And we long for it, and we long to go home to it, and we do. And when we do, when we drop into sensation, we drop into that very simple, childlike way of being present, we're met. 
by inattention is very fine. And that completely forgives us. As wild as that might seem, as reckless as that might seem, It's like we're in a prison cell and it's not locked. And we can open the door. And then when we get too scared of that freedom, come back in. Yeah, and then open it up. Moment by moment. And so what, as we come to close, what they refer to as the deathless, which can sound so somber and scary, are moments of free attention, moments of being in a state of attention, not bound by ego identification, just free for a moment. Not so bad for a moment. But it's really fun as we go to close to notice this week how we'll scurry back into our cell. That's no freedom. Let's take our seat just for a moment together, noticing how good it is to be together, to know that there are other people just like you who seek freedom, connection, belonging, forgiveness happiness, peace. We put two hands in our heart space and we know that we don't just practice just for ourselves, but let the practice shine out. Let presence shine out in all directions, including ourselves, towards all being at all beings everywhere in all worlds who suffer in all ways, who feel overwhelmed or alone or hungry or betrayed or sad or sick, every way of suffering. And we offer them the wish that we send ourselves May we all be safe. May we all be well. May we all be completely at ease, completely accepted, completely forgiven, completely free. May all beings everywhere without exception be free. Thank you. Thank you so much for your practice, for your presence, for everything.